And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Uh, May is the month of Mary, and I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to step back a bit and think historically about the Blessed Mother, not only in terms of the, the major dogmas or even the particular devotions, but also to apparitions. Uh, it's been a major uh, feature of Catholic uh, Marian engagement. And uh, I wanted to look back over many of the approved apparitions uh, of the Blessed Mother, and I've asked Dr. Mark Maravalli to join me to do that. Uh, Mark is a husband, a permanent deacon, father of eight, got his uh, sacred theological doctorate at the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. He's been teaching at the Franciscan University of Steubenville since 1986 and serves as president of the International Catholic Movement, Vox Populi uh, Mariae uh, Mediatrice, Voice of the People for Mary Mediatrix. And uh, Dr. Miravalli is the author and editor of over 20 books in Mariology and Spiritual Theology, and you can visit him at markmaravalli.com. And we'll, of course, have that link for you at our website as well. Mark, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Al. Well, uh, when when did Marian apparitions start becoming an important part of Catholic devotional life? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, in general, we talk about the, quote, age of Mary. Right. And the age of Mary really starts with the miraculous middle apparitions in 1830. Uh, but you have a, a huge anticipation of that with, of course, Guadalupe. Mm-hmm back in 1531. I mean, previous to that time out, they were a little bit more spotty. There, there are reports of apparitions and messages, even going back to the uh, third century, uh, and, and even something as far back as uh, 50 to 55, with a, with a bilocation of Our Lady to St. James in, in Spain, which has a strong, small T tradition to it. But really, the age of Mary is where we have, you know, what you were mentioning in the introduction, that is kind of a, a new uh, church-forming dimension which would really focus people on the need to return to the gospel through these private revelations. Mm-hmm. That, of course, is is the purpose, right? It's, sure. It's never to replace the gospel, but it's, quite frankly, to get us to live the most challenging parts of the gospel, and that's what the Mother does best. So in answer to your question, it, it really... With the anticipation of Guadalupe, it really begins in 1830, and that age of Mary um, includes not only the most Church-approved apparitions uh, in a a time period, but also the most dogmas, the most Marian dogmas proclaimed, the most papal holy fathers. Uh, It's really an extraordinary age when you think of all the great Marian ages in the Church, that this one would be singled out uh, as the age of Mary, and when we're still alive during it. Yeah, that's right. Considered yeah. to be its climax. Any uh, theological reflection on why this time? Yeah, you know, funny how that's usually the first question that the secular media asks. You know, <laughs> why during this age would Our Lady, or at least the Church granting that Virgin Mary would be coming? And I think there's always two answers to that. One is... Um, 
out of the generosity of God, that, that uh, you know, the Heavenly Father in His generosity is sending uh, His privileged daughter to the world to help us to live the gospel. But I think number two is also part of that, and that is we're not doing a great job of doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if the purpose of private revelation is to get us to live with generosity, public revelation, that's, you know, Scripture, Tradition, Magisterium, that, that implies that we're not doing a super job in doing that, and so the Mother of God is coming to every continent calling us to be more generous and to have conversion of heart so that we, we can be true to our baptismal promises to Christ. So these, these are not just European appearances. These go over the globe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's been uh, Church-approved apparitions on, on every continent. Um, and, you know, you have, for example, the, the powerful event of Rwanda um, in you know, the 80s, uh, which were really a warning. Our Lady comes as Mother of, of the Divine Word, and really a, a call to return to the Rosary, to the Seven Sorrows, but also a warning. Yeah. Uh, the, the children, uh, the visionaries who were high school students, had images of you know, great destruction, know. Uh, rivers of blood, and bodies cascaded. And, you know, well, the, the response was, but that can't be, you know, Mary. Mary doesn't scare people. Um, but then we all saw it on CNN. Right. It was the Rwanda slaughter. Right. You know, a million people, essentially by machete, uh, you know, killed within a period of 10 months. So, yeah. um, but they're absolutely global. You know, there's not a continent that hasn't had uh, a church-approved apparition of Our Lady in, in, in these times. Uh, people like to ask the question, what's the relationship between private revelation and public revelation? Right, and, and it's an important question. So public revelation is the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, which ends in its essential revelation with the death of John the Apostle. So once John dies, there's no new revelation necessary for salvation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, of course, guarded by the Magisterium, by the Holy Father and the Bishops in Union. But there have always been, uh, as the Second Vatican Council says, the gift of prophecy which, once again, is a gift of the Holy Spirit uh, that can be enacted, of course, through Our Lady, uh, to keep us faithful to that gospel. And uh, there has always been prophecy in the Church. Um, not, as uh, the Council says, to bring new doctrines, but to guide us in our conduct. And, right. and of course, you know, to, 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 uh, you know, to really hold us to the gospel. I mean, Jesus says, you know, when the bridegroom is gone, then they shall fast, for example. Well, been 2000 you know it's been two millennia and there's a lot of christians who are not fasting so we shouldn't be surprised if our lady comes and says fast yeah um yeah. because it's not a new thing it's it's a part of the gospel we perhaps need a little uh, maternal encouragement to do so the uh the process by which an apparition ends up becoming approved give us a thumbnail sketch of that so people have some idea of the church's care Sure, sure. So it always circles around the authority of the local bishop. In fact, I'm in communication with a, a few bishops in Europe who have cases they believe to be authentic, and they did their analysis, and then they submitted it to the Vatican Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. In fact, uh, at least one of them asked the congregation to to make a decision. You know, is is this reported revelation of God or is it not? And they said, no, that's your decision. So mm. it is the decision of the local bishop to make the first discernment. So what happens, Al, is if there's a report and the bishop thinks it's credible enough to follow through, 
he gets a commission. He establishes a commission, typically with theologians, psychologists, and medical doctors to examine those three species of the Janus. Uh, you know, uh, does this person seem to be of a healthy psychological state? Are there any, you know, medical conditions that could be adding to this? And, and ultimately, uh, a discernment. You know, is this uh, of God? Because it can be beyond nature, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily uh, on heaven's That's side. That's right. That is right. Yeah. The ability of, of, you know, of also uh, manipulating nature. So the commission is always advisory, Al. That is, the, 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 the experts, so to speak, uh, study the case. They give their conclusion to the bishop, but it's always in the bishop's hands. It's always his call. And then the bishop will come out with typically one of three comments, one of three conclusions. One is what's called constata supernaturalitate. And I use the Latin because it, it's still even used in secular media uh, when they report on these. That is the conclusion that this uh, event consists of a supernatural origin. So that's your pro-positive category. Mm-hmm. The second category is the most confusing. This is uh, non constat de supernaturalitate, which simply means we don't approve, but we do not condemn. Uh, we wait and see. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is sometimes called the Gamaliel category. You know, okay. if it's of God, you don't want to fight it. Right. You can't stop it anyway. Right. So that's that middle category. Uh, and then there's the third category, which is constat de non supernaturalitate. Simply put, this is not of God. Stay away from it. Don't spread the message. Don't pilgrimage to the spot. So those are the three categories that the bishop comes up with. As I mentioned before, it is first the discernment of the local bishop. Some uh, apparitions, Al, that we consider to be authentic, and rightly so, have never been confirmed by the Vatican. It was sufficient that the local bishop made his statement, and the Vatican has always respected that. Um, In other cases, the Vatican has confirmed uh, the decision of of a local bishop. Uh, So that's that's the process uh, of going, you know, uh, evaluating these and and the, the commission's responsibility, ultimately, along with the bishop, is to examine three areas. Number one, is the message sound? Is the reported visionary saying anything against the church? Because of the, if that's the case, this is not of God. It's not the spirit does not contradict himself. It doesn't say one thing through the vicar of Christ, and another thing through a private individual. And secondly, the phenomena, uh, the things surrounding the message and the experience, the the ecstasy, the locution mode, are these all within the tradition of the church? And then thirdly, and what Cardinal Ratzinger says is most important, uh, the spiritual fruits. Is it leading people to lasting conversions? Is it, is it returning people to the prayer and sacramental life of the Church? So that, in essence, is you know the process and the criteria for evaluating uh, a reported apparition. Okay. So we just had, uh, in the last 10 years, uh, an approval, uh, at least by the local bishop, of Our Lady of Good Help in uh, Wisconsin, and uh, has right. that been approved by the Church Universal, or is that a, a, a local Episcopal approval? Well, it is a local Episcopal approval, but that's always done in consultation with with the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. Okay, good. But here, here's a case in point, Al. Um, it, is, it was declared by Bishop Ricken, uh, after a good theological examination, to be of a supernatural origin. Um, the Vatican doesn't have to confirm that. Um, oftentimes... The Vatican will leave it as it is unless there's a reason for confirmation. Let's say there's a new controversy or, or there's gotcha. uh, objections raised against it. Uh, that's when the Vatican, in, in particular the CDF, enters that process. But until that point, the Vatican leaves it, and it's a church-approved apparition. In fact, what Bishop Ricken did on December 8th of 2010 is the first and only 
uh, official church-approved apparition uh, of Our Lady in the United States. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so this again, uh, to December 8th, uh, Feast of the Immaculate Conception, 2010, Bishop David Ricken, Bishop of Green Bay, uh, declared that uh, Our Lady of Good Help, uh, again, going back to what eighteen eighteen seventy one or so early um, yeah. mm-hmm. that yeah. this this was uh, authentic. Exactly what does he say happened? In other words, what is the degree of his commitment? Yeah, that's also a good question, Al, because bishops will differ on what precisely they approve or or they don't approve. So. Uh, Mark, why don't you hold it there? We'll take a break, come back, and pick it up, because uh, I want to make sure that we have time to lay that out. My guest is Dr. Mark Maravalli. In this month of Mary, May, we are taking a look at uh, apparitions, approved apparitions, uh, how how public and private revelation distinguish, how does the Church look at these apparitions, and we'll look over many of them. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Mark Maravalli. He's uh, guiding us as we think about uh, Marian apparitions in this month of May, which we call the uh, month of Mary. Uh, we were looking about uh, at this uh, Our Lady of Good Help is the title that uh, is given to uh, Our Lady's appearance, uh, I think it was three times, to a uh, Belgian farm woman who uh, was asked to pray for the conversion of sinners, and uh, she was encouraged to evangelize and catechate, catechize the local people there. And Bishop David Ricken, on December 8th of 2010, approved uh, this uh, uh, phenomenon, this apparition. And we're asking, well, what does that commit him to? What does he? What is he actually saying about this phenomenon? And pick it up from there, Mark. Sure. Well, essentially what he's saying uh, is that when he uses that first category, that constructa supernaturally taught that this consists of a supernatural origin. He's saying that this is, uh, this is not a human uh, cause. It is not a diabolical cause. It is a supernatural cause. Uh, and that uh, presupposes that the message is sound, that any proximate phenomena, that is, things close to the event, in fact happened as they were reported, and, of course, it, it testifies to spiritual fruits taking place. Now, as, as we were talking about before the break, Al, in some cases, a bishop will approve just the message. Uh, in other cases, he will approve the fruits. Uh, but the, the standard, and, and quite frankly, the best approval is simply to say, there's a supernatural origin, people are free to come in pilgrimage to this spot, and uh, we hold that this was initiated not by any human or diabolical force, but, but really by a, a heavenly force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that itself you know, speaks volumes. So that certainly was the, was the decision of Bishop Ricken after his I- investigation. Uh, throughout the history of apparitions, it's been a bit more, and quite frankly, Al, I mean, bishops don't take apparitions you know, 101, and so it's, it's always a little different um, where a bishop will say, I approve you know, these three messages, but I don't approve the other five, or in Rwanda. I approve these three visionaries, but I don't accept what these other two say mm-hmm. they were receiving. So um, there are general limits to an approval, but overall it's saying we believe this is from heaven and, and worthy of our belief. Have there been any instances of where a, uh, the approval of a local bishop was actually overturned 
by the Vatican? Well, that's a fascinating question. Uh, there have been only two cases, and quite frankly, they have been in the last two years. Um, and this was under uh, Cardinal Mueller, when Cardinal Mueller was um, head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. And uh, one case was Our Lady of Lipa apparitions, in the uh, reported apparitions, and, and at this point, you know, in total obedience, uh, we don't spread the message of something that has had its approval, you know, taken away uh, until uh, and if uh, there's a later decision that it's authentic. But these were reported apparitions in the Philippines, uh, approved uh, very clearly by the local archbishop after years of study. Another more recent case were uh, apparitions in uh, Brazil, reported apparitions in Brazil, uh, Itaparanga, uh, with very strong messages regarding St. Joseph. Once again, uh, we're not going to get into those messages because right. that was at the request of the CDF. But it's, it's somewhat interesting that in all of church history, you've never had a local bishop's approval reversed, but you have had, you know, in these two cases, uh, but both of those have been uh, submitted for re-examination. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, of course, we wait. I mean, this is the case of things like Faustina. People sometimes don't realize that yeah. the message of divine mercy was uh, condemned <laughs> yeah, several years. That's right. Uh, it's hard know, for us to remember that today, yeah. Yeah, right, right. As was Padre Pio, who, you know, for nine years was under interdict and uh, couldn't have public mass. And uh, this is part of the obedience which we're required to give in any case. Uh, that's our saving grace. And that was their saving grace. Mm-hmm. I mean, for Faustina, she, she was deceased. But Padre Pio had to and did heroically obey the local authority. Local authority was saying that his stigmata and any of his uh, extraordinary phenomena uh, were not of God. So, uh, so it is obedience, but it doesn't mean it's the, necessarily the final word on, on the issue. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, let me jump back to the uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin area and what was approved by Bishop David Ricken. Tell us about that particular uh, apparition. Well, as you mentioned, um, in, in the, in the, just around the middle of the 19th century, uh, Lydia appears to this uh, Belgian woman, Adele, and it's really a message of, of catechesis. And so anybody out there that's, uh, you know, striving in the, in the very noble act of evangelization and catechesis, have a nice, uh, you know, a patron intercessor with, with Adele. Uh, Our Lady asked her to catechize the people, particularly the children of the area. And Adele very sacrificially would volunteer to babysit for free with the opportunity of evangelizing and catechizing the children. Now, the, the miracle that really kind of confirmed the authenticity was, you know, the huge fire that came forth, at least in generally admitted to be the largest fire in the country's history, uh, coming out of the Chicago area wow. and just enveloping huge quantities of land. And there's just a little picket, little, little uh, wood picket fence around the church there, which you would think is perfect uh, kindling for fire. Yeah. And as this fire rages throughout the area, uh, the people with Adele are in the church, and miraculously, the fire goes around the church and the ticket fence, <laughs> and they're all saved. Wow. So, um, you know, Our Lady's generous in, in leading us to uh, things she wants us to accentuate, like a true apparition, a, a true message, which, you know, calls us to faith. And it really, it really redounds to the whole Marian message to the modern world, I mean... 
this is not uh, a curiosity-seeking thing. It's not kind of cherry on the top extra stuff. Our, Our Lady comes only when there's really a need for us to seriously examine our hearts to what level we're living the gospel. And, and, you know, if you look back, you know, to the miraculous mental apparitions all the way through Lourdes and Fatima and more recently approved apparitions like uh, Amsterdam and Akita in Japan, it's all a very powerful call to conversion. Uh, it, it's, it's got Our Lady's love all over it, but there's also the reference to if we don't respond, we can expect uh, justice instead of mercy. That's not our Lord's first choice, uh, but mer- uh, justice is also a virtue. So um, everything from Fatima onward, I mean, uh, I was giving a talk on Fatima in, 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 uh, in New Zealand a little while ago, and a gentleman came up after the talk, he said, I finally realized what happens when we don't answer Our Lady's message, because my father was the first soldier from New Zealand who was killed in World War II, and if we had followed the message of Fatima, we would have had a World War II. Wow, wow. So it's kind of a poignant, yeah. um, you know, concrete examination of, yeah, these are messages to be responded to because there's great graces available, but if we don't, there's there's mercy, there's a there's the justice which can be significant. You mentioned Amsterdam, and we're in World War II. This uh, Our Lady of All Nations uh, apparition, which was investigated in the 50s, uh, and decided upon, approved in 2002, the first apparition takes place right in 1945, right near the close of the Second World War. Uh, what can right. you tell me about it? Yeah, well, in fact, Our Lady came to uh, this very ordinary Dutch woman, Ida Perdeman, uh, in, in, in March of 1945, and basically said the war will end, but you, you will have to pray the rosary. And this was just a few months uh, before the end of World War II. Um, and it's a fascinating uh, series of apparitions, Al, in that, for the next five years, Our Lady makes a number of geopolitical kind of predictions, hmm. uh, things like the uh, reunification of the, the, the state of Israel, <laughs> uh, the split in Korea, uh, that there would be a, uh, a great split in Korea, and that the effects of the split would be dangerous for generations to come. And of course, we're seeing that right now with yeah. the situation with North Korea, uh, warring around Jerusalem, uh, just a great series of, that China would be taken over and there would be a great flow of blood uh, back in 1945. And so all of these things have, have, of course, already happened. And, you know, a logical question is, well, why so many political prophecies? And the answer is to get credibility for the message. Right. Uh, even outside of Catholics, many uh, people of faith and, and even people of history have come to look at these apparitions and say, there's no way this Dutch woman could have known this. I mean, uh, right. Uh, the combined knowledge of the, of the KGB and the CIA didn't know the things that this little Dutch woman, uh, w- woman was saying. So, uh, and the whole second part of the message is this call for a fifth Marian dogma. That is, that the Pope would proclaim Mary as the spiritual mother of all humanity, as co-redemptrix, mediatrix, and advocate, and that only with this proclamation would Our Lady be able to then intercede for world peace. So it's it's a very poignant message, a very strong message about how uh, this proclamation by the Holy Father would then bring the world the graces of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart and, and, and ultimately world peace. Hmm. By the way, how uh, how is this going with the final Marian dogma? Well, there continues to be progress. Most recently, in fact, on, on Friday, I'm 
jumping on a plane to Amsterdam because on, on Sunday they're, they're having the International Prayer Day in Amsterdam, and uh, we'll be updating them as well about some of these events. But it's beautiful how a, a number of bishops have, have taken the cause to actually contact their brother bishops and say, let's support the Holy Father with this, and mm-hmm. let's send letters to the Holy Father with this. So even within the last year, there's been a, a huge increase in bishops from all over the world sending letters to Pope Francis, asking him to prayerfully consider yeah. making this proclamation. Uh, so there's there's always the two elements that lead to dogmas. Uh, one is uh, the petitions uh, by the faithful, and, and the last two popes thanked the people for their petitions, which led to the dogmas of the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, secondly, it's always prayer, you know, uh, praying for uh, the discernment of the Holy Father. In Amsterdam, there was a very beautiful, uh, very short, beautiful prayer called the Prayer of the Lady of All Nations, which Our Lady asked everyone to pray in per, in preparation for the fifth dogma. So uh, I would say things are going very well. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, there's always speculation about your particular Holy Father, right? So with, with this Holy Father, with Pope Francis, uh, I think everyone agrees he's extremely Marian. Uh, as one as one uh, person over in Rome mentioned, you know, you need, you need two things for a, for a Pope to proclaim a dogma. Number one, he's got to be very Marian. Number two, he's got to be willing to act on his own if he feels convicted yeah. that this is something heaven wants. And I think uh, Pope Francis uh, follows both of those uh, yeah. criteria pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if he's convicted, he will act on his own. So, we, you know, we pray, and uh, that's between you know Our Lady and, and Pope Francis. But our task is to petition and to pray for this proclamation. He's made it pretty clear that this is something heaven wants. My guest, Dr. Mark Maravalli, uh, talking about Marian apparitions, we're taking a look over at the history looking over the significance, uh, trying to understand the process by which apparitions are approved. We'll be back. we got more coming. I'm Al Cresta. And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Mark Maravalli. Uh, Mark, uh, I, I don't know anybody who understands uh, Marian apparitions and Marian teaching better than Mark, and uh, we frequently give him a call uh, when it comes to Marian uh, questions. He is uh, currently uh, president of the international Catholic movement, uh, Vox Populi uh, Mariae Mediatrici, Voice of the People for Mary Mediatrix, and he's been teaching at uh, Steubenville since 1986. Uh, I'd like to know, are there any approved apparitions in which apparitions are actually continuing? There are, Al. Um, I think, you know, you're you're meriting your uh, honorary uh, cyberspace doctorate with these questions, Al. It shows your... uh, your uh, your prowess on this well, issue. Um, I, I, I want to take advantage of you. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll you commonly hear people say that, well, an, uh, an apparition cannot be approved unless it's over. That's simply uh, it's well intended. It's just wrong. Uh, oh. There have been several apparitions that have been approved uh, before their conclusion, um, because uh, let's say you know, there were apparitions of. Um, uh, down in, uh, 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 sorry, in Venezuela, Betania, Venezuela. And the bishop uh, at that time 
said, I approve this apparition. This apparition I give a concept of supernatural etate. So the visionary continued to receive apparitions after that point. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you have situations like where apparitions are going on for many years. And, you know, after 25 years, you could well say, we have enough information to examine the message phenomenon fruits. You know, right. Uh, right. this is either of God or not of God. Uh, so the answer is it's very legitimate and, and completely um, precedented to give an approval of apparitions uh, if the bishop feels like he has enough information in those categories. So it's, it's not required that the apparitions be over. The bishop's always free to say, I personally don't want to you know, make an approval before uh, they end, but it's not required, it's not in the norms of the CDF, or the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, that it has to be uh, completed uh, to be evaluated and to have a, uh, a statement made about them. I mean, could it, could it be that uh, an apparition is approved, uh, messages continue, uh, and at some point the bishop might say, no, we approved uh, this apparition and the messages up until this particular date. We have not spoken on what's going on beyond that date. Yeah, could and that, that happen? Could also happen on absolutely. That's happened on several occasions, at, uh, precisely because you know uh, there's still free free will, right? I mean, right. You know, uh, it, it's not inconceivable that a visionary could go astray and, and perhaps through a lack of yeah. proper spiritual direction or just human contamination, these sure. things can happen. So, once again, that's within the purview of the local bishop, and there are cases uh, where the bishop has specified that very thing, that we're only approving it up to this point. But then you've got your, you know, you got your kind of grandmother apparitions, the big ones like Lourdes and Fatima, mm -hmm. uh, where it's, there's nothing that has been limited in terms of, of the approval, because these are such massive graces to the Church. And it's almost, you know, as, as in, in your introductory comments, I'll, I mean, technically speaking, you could be a faithful Catholic and not accept any private revelation, even Church-approved apparition. Right. Practically speaking, it's very difficult on May 13th, which is an optional memorial for Fatima, uh, or February 11th, or Divine Mercy Sunday, to say, <laughs> I don't believe this, but <laughs> right. the Church is celebrating this. <laughs> right, right. You know, sending golden roses to these places. And uh, so... You know, private revelation has entered the liturgical life of the Church, and as long as it's always in its proper subordinate role to Scripture, Tradition, Magisterium, I think it's something we have to thank God for and thank Our Lady for, not not begrudge or see it as a competition. That's not Heaven's salvation plan. They want to get as many people up there as possible, and we should cooperate with that process. Yeah. And that includes private revelation. What uh, Talk to us about what happened in Japan with Our Lady of Akita. Yeah, Aki has a fascinating case, so now we're jumping to the 1970s. In fact, the Vatican ambassador from the Philippines, Howard, you very saintly man, said, it's interesting, you have 28 years from Fatima to Amsterdam, and then you have 28 years from Amsterdam to Akita. And huh. I'd like to mention that while admitted, immediately admitting, I have no idea the significance of that. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. No. Uh, but it is interesting because there's, there's, a, there's a flow of theology and message between Fatima and Amsterdam, Amsterdam and Akita. So what happens in Akita? You have an image of the Lady of All Nations, which is carved uh, 
by uh, actually by a Buddhist sculptor at the request of a religious sister who personally received what she believed to be a miracle through the intercession of Lady of All Nations. So as an act of gratitude, you know, she had a, a wooden statue carved of the Lady of All Nations. Wow. Well, that statue began weeping, and over the course of the next eight years, it would weep 101 times. That, that's not 101 tears, but 101 different occasions, which are all captured on, um, on video. And the local bishop uh, came, and in 1984, he made his official proclamation that um, these are of a supernatural origin after a three-hour meeting with Cardinal Ratzinger. It's significant to this, Al, it's a confirmation of Amsterdam. Uh, As the bishop said, Akita continues Amsterdam, so it's a message of Our Lady as co-redemptrix, Our Lady's tears, which represent her suffering, her mystical suffering, in light of you know, the, the many evils uh, that are, are the human family is suffering, uh, and also heaven's desire that Mary's suffering would be acknowledged, that it would be proclaimed, not only because Our Lady deserves it, but because it's such a model to us of co-redemptive suffering. You know, and sometimes we can do the ad hominem to Jesus, say, yeah, you, you endured your cross pretty well, but you're, you're, you're kind of the God-man, and I'm right. kind of not. Right, right. Uh, but you can't give that to the mother. I mean, she's human. Now, she's a massively human, but she's human. So she becomes a very um, effective model for us in enduring our sufferings. And that's the Fatima message of offering everything in reparation. That's the Amsterdam message of proclaiming this as a dogma for world peace. And and Akita really confirms that with, with a third approved apparition uh, on that same theme of, of Our Lady's co-redemptrix. Wow. That's, that's just fascinating. Uh, do you do you think that people are uh, continuing their interest in Marian apparitions, or did we peak somewhere in the '90s, early '90s? Yeah, another. It, it's a fascinating question. There's no question that there was huge interest in um, in the Marian messages. Uh, up through the uh, you know the, the 80s and the 90s, mm-hmm. I think perhaps the whole question of the year 2000 and what that meant yeah. added some mystique and, and and interest to you know the signs of the times and whatnot. And of course, as you know, not only the end of the world but also the end of computers did not stop at, at 2000. You know, we didn't <laughs> run out of digits as we right. feared. Right. Um, I think there's that tendency for it to slough off a little bit. Uh, but I think in light of, um, quite frankly, the world scene, Al, there is a new engagement into Our Lady's messages because, once again, it's that beautiful mixture. It, it, it's, again, a, a loving, motherly encouragement, as only mothers can do, to be more generous, to return to Christ, to return the sacraments, return to obedience to the Holy Father, which is a new problem in many cases, and Our Lady's called us to, uh, to that as well. But at the same time, that, that danger is approaching. You know, as one author said, uh, it's like a mother looking out on a freeway and seeing that some of her kids have wandered off on the freeway. Well, can you imagine the mother's frustration if she can't go out there and and get her kids off the freeway? And also, perhaps the tone of her yelling to her kids to get off the freeway might not, you know, just manifest a sweet, gentle tone (laughs) because of the urgency. That's right. Well, so too with the world scene. I think Our Lady's seeing many of her kids on the freeway, uh, on the moral, spiritual freeway. There's great danger. And so she's hearkening with a certain 
peaceful urgency and a certain um, willfulness of spirit, a certain determination, a certain admonition to get us off, you know, the the, the spiritual freeway of secularism and modernism and all the other isms that that threaten our faith. Uh, So I do think it's a special time, uh, and I think these apparitions indicate that. As always, it's going to be up to us, you know, how much we respond faithfully uh, to this age. But I think because of things like wars, chastisements, and, and, and evil, and natural disasters, which we're seeing more and more of, um, that things like what is, are part of the, the message of the Lady of All Nations, in fact, that's in the prayer of the Lady of All Nations, where she asks Jesus to send, you know, the prayer asks Jesus to send the Holy Spirit uh, to prevent us from those three things, uh, degeneration, disaster, and war, moral breakdown, natural disasters, and wars and rumors of war. So I think as we see more of these things across our evening news, I think it makes it more relevant, yeah, um, yeah. And, um, and therefore we should be responding. I want to turn our attention to the seers themselves. Is there a personality type uh, of a visionary? Uh, is, there, uh, is there anything that unites the visionaries as personalities, f- factors, yeah. features? Right. While there's a diversity of personality, I think there is, in general, uh, a, a unity of of kind of vocation, if you will. Mm-hmm. But by that I mean, your typical visionary is either a child with very little education, in some cases no education, or an adult with very little or no education. Yeah. So, for example, you know, from the Fatima kids to Juan Diego, uh, one element is um, the lacking of education, not 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 intelligence. That's a very different thing, as we right. all know. Right. Um, why? Well, for the very reason that there's not been a, a major apparition ever given to a theologian. Right. Our lady's got too much sense to appear to one of us <laughs> and give a message and expect it to purely be transmitted. I mean, we'd mix it up with Augustine and Thomas and <laughs> Bonaventure and our own commentary. But that's the beauty of children or, or, or childlike individuals, and perhaps that's the genus I would say about yeah. missionaries, is they, they, they report it just as it is. They don't have enough background, typically, to intermingle yeah. or to add. Um, you know, Bernadette at Lourdes, uh, the priest is saying, no, Our Lady couldn't say, I am the Immaculate Conception. She would only say something like, believe in the Immaculate Conception. And Bernadette was simply saying, well, that, that's just what she said. And then St. Maximilian Colby would say, yeah. And this is what she means, that she is by her very nature full of grace yeah. and free from sin. But uh, that's the beauty of, of, of the true visionaries. They don't add, they don't subtract, they just relay. And that's their vocation. Very good. Mark, how do people stay in touch with you? Well, they can go to motherofallpeople.com. We've got a weekly and bi-weekly issue. And if they want text, uh, we can get them that way as well. And uh, that's probably the best way is motherofallpeople.com. Okay. Motherofallpeople.com. Mark, thanks so much. 